It is December, so it is Christmas as far as I'm concerned. Christmas should only be celebrated in December. If you're one of those November, October people uh, where you might start Christmas, then have a word with yourself. It's December, okay? December starts Christmas. You're free to put your trees up and your presents and do whatever you do because we're now in December. And uh, we're coming over these next few weeks to us to explore a few thoughts that God would have for us uh, concerning Christmas, the expectation of Jesus coming. One of the things I love about the Apostle Paul is he spends a good lot of his writings to the church, the churches that he writes to, with the desire that he wants to know Christ. And we're going to look in a second at a few of the verses of that, but his heart's desire is that he would know Christ. Uh, as a matter of fact, there is no greater theme in Scripture than Jesus. It says sometimes we may have to address other issues, but the reality is, it says when we come to preaching from the Bible, there's nothing greater to preach about, there's no one greater to preach about than simply him. Uh, and so the challenge for us as we come uh, to this period that we call Advent, which is uh, the expectation of Christ's coming, is to make sure that we, we look at Jesus because we want to know him fully. We want to know all about him. We don't just want to sort of see him as a side issue to uh, Christmas and everything else that goes on and stuff, because there is an expectation uh, with Christmas because of Jesus' coming. And I, I titled this morning's sermon, Advent, A Weary World Rejoices from the famous carol, because we do live in a weary world. It was a weary world when Jesus was ready to come the first time, and we still live in a weary world. Some of you may feel weary uh, today. You may be in church, and the, the weight of the world is upon your shoulders because of things that are going on in your life. And Jesus is the expectation of Jesus coming, not just at Christmas time as we see in the Christmas story, but into the situations and the circumstances that we face is simply what we do as Christians, that we look and we expect Christ. We expect Christ. Paul understood this, that to love Christ and obey him and proclaim him, the first thing you had to do was you had to know him. You had to know him, that, that, that it was important to love him and it was important to obey him it was important to proclaim him, but the foundation of all of that was knowing Christ. Paul writes three verses, he simply, well, there, there are many, but these three are picked out. He, he writes to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 2, when he says, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It was knowing Christ and him crucified. He writes to the church in Philippi, in Philippians 3, verse 10, when he simply says, I want to know Christ. Uh, and he goes on to talk about knowing Christ and his sufferings and the glory of his resurrection. But there's that second thought there, that he wanted to know Christ. Why did he want to know Christ? Well, I give you another example from Colossians 2, verse 9. It says, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And so what we've seen here is just what Paul is writing is something that encourages us and challenges us this time, that we don't get lost in everything else at Christmas, but our aim as we look to these next few weeks is to simply know Christ, is to make sure that we know Christ in everything that we do. You see, we see the glory of Christ in the New Testament. It says, and this is why this is important, this really comes to the point of what this morning is about. 
You see, if you want to know Christ historically, you see him in the Gospels because we see the Christ in the Gospels. That is historically. That's the story of Jesus while he was here on the earth, as we know, his reaction, uh, what he did to come and save us, how he responded to people. It's the historical account of who Jesus was. But if we move on to the epistles, we see that we get to know Christ theologically, which simply means that we're looking at who he is, where he has come from, where he fits in with the whole plan, and all of that consumed together in the epistles. But then we see, we see Christ in Revelation, and that is eschatologically. Now, that's a big word, even hard for me to say, but I'll sum it up for you. It just means the end times. It just means the last days. If you've been coming to the Living Word Bible Study on Tuesday evening, the Tim Bailey's leading, uh, you will have got a sense of them talking about Jesus in the last days. So obviously, they're, they're important for us to know him historically. It's important for us to know him theologically. It's important to know him eschatologically because we see in the past, in the present, in the future. But the fourth thing, and this really focuses on the Christmas story is this. We must see Christ in the Old Testament and that is prophetically. We must see Christ in the Old Testament that is prophetically. There was never a point in history and this encourages us this morning if we're thinking that God has forgotten us or he's given up on us that God always has a plan. And Jesus arriving as he did in the Christmas story is just summed up in simply that God had a plan. Imagine as the Christmas Eve, uh, for want of a better phrase, comes upon them sitting around in heaven and Jesus is getting prepared to go because now is the time for him to, to, to become incarnate, to become one with, in the flesh with us and stuff. And there you can see them sitting around heaven almost thinking if there was anything else that could be done. The angels are sitting thinking if only we could do this. And God realizes there's really, there's nothing else can be done other than giving that which is most precious to him for each and every one of us. But he didn't just stumble upon. It wasn't something that just, oh, I need to do this now. God had a plan. We see that plan through the Old Testament. We see it fulfilled in the Christmas story and throughout the New Testament. You see, Christmas is upon us. And if you've got the Christmas devotionals at the moment, you know that the theme of the Christmas devotionals is the, the journey to Christmas. Because when I read the Christmas story, I was amazed by how many people were on a journey. Mary and Joseph were on a journey. You know, the wise men were on a journey that possibly started four months before they arrived at Jesus. The shepherds were on a hillside and, and they were on a journey because they said, come, let us go and see that which he, he, he was being spoken about. He says, and so many people were on a journey. There were people that should have gone on the journey that didn't go on a journey. Uh, those that were the scribes and the Pharisees, teachers of the law with Herod, and this was five miles away uh, from Jerusalem. They should have gone on a journey to check it out, and they didn't. I thought it's a great theme that runs through the Christmas story of the journey, but the journey that was most important above all else was the journey that Jesus made. Uh, the journey that Jesus made because the end of it was the cross and the resurrection he made the most important journey of all and you see we've begun this time of what we call advent which means the beginning of an event uh, you know the signals the expectation of a special person was so important for us to get to know Jesus you know advent is patience 
It's how God has made us, us a people of promise in a world of impatience. How true is that? He said, you know, the, 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 God had been silent for 400 years. And the Malachi closes the canon of the Old Testament. that wondered whether God had forgotten about them. That the God had no interest in them. Uh, and simply Advent is that time, that expectation, as we've heard at the table already this morning, that God had a plan, and now was the right time. Why? Because these people needed hope. And you see, hope in the Bible, it exists as a secure assurance, doesn't it? A trust that's placed in a trustworthy God. Romans 8.25 says, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And you see centuries of no known revelation from God. And suddenly, the word of God became flesh. The word of God, but he became one with us. It's that expectation coming. You see, the, without the word of God present among them, these people had walked in spiritual darkness. They'd been looking for the answer. The answer hadn't come. They were waiting for the Messiah. There was an expectation there because they knew that when God sent his son, when God sent the Messiah, that would change the world forever. You know, it was a weary world then, as I said at the beginning, and it's a weary world now. In the weariness and the struggles that people have, they're still looking for that hope that comes from the entrance of Jesus Christ into any given situation or circumstance. If you look at the society that Mary and Joseph lived in, it can only be described as an oppressive society. The people, the poor especially, were heavily taxed by, by rulers who lived so far away. And their tax rate probably as high as 50 to 60% of what they earned. Uh, and here Jesus was born essentially into a third world context under a military dictatorship for one of a context that we understand for today. It, it was a society where everybody was coerced. We see the absolute poverty in the Christmas story, even from appearing and, and being born uh, and, and placed in a manger. And surrounded by the animals, often at times we see, you know, the, the Christmas cards and the pictures of you know, lit fire and the donkeys there and the cows there and they're all being quiet and they're all over looking Jesus. And it's that scene that we would look at and say, oh, isn't that lovely? That's just sweet. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Would any of us do it? You want to go stay in a hotel with a pig, a donkey, a horse and a cow in the same room? Do you? Of course you don't. He says, yeah, we look at it, it's a picture and see Jesus, the sort of situation that he was born into, that, that, that poverty that he was born into. It was a weary world expressed uh, firstly by Mary and by Joseph and those that they lived around. And even in the Christmas story, what they had to do, they were called to a census. They were called to back to their hometown so they could be counted simply for tax purposes. This is the sort of society that Jesus was born into. Uh, and we see here in Matthew 1, and really, we, we see, he says, you were birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
You see, we read these verses and we focus on the purpose of Jesus coming, which is the, that truth there, that he shall save people from their sins. Uh, also, that other truth there, which is for God, uh, will be with us, God with us. But it's the start of verse 22 that really caught my attention. All this to place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. There is a security and a hope and an assurance knowing that God has a plan. And Matthew writes these words at least seven times in the first four chapters of his letter because he's trying to help the Jewish readers, the people who were reading it, to understand that God simply had a plan. This is not something that just happened, that God thought this might be a good idea to do this. God had a plan, and he repeatedly uses this phrase to indicate ways in which Jesus and events related to his earthly ministry were fulfillments of Old Testament prophecy. That basic truth and happening of events at the start of the New Testament were simply fulfillments of revelation that God had already made. That in sending Jesus, he was fulfilling the plan and the purpose that he had set in place, which was to save the world, which was for Jesus to be the payment for people's sins. It wasn't something that was caught off guard. It's something that is the highlight of the Christmas story of why Jesus came. Uh, when we sit sometimes and we have that image in our minds of Christmas and all that goes with it, you know, the, the truth of it is, for us as believers, we're challenged to get to know Christ more through the story that we read. Because as Matthew describes the birth of Jesus and the period before Jesus begins to preach, he mentions seven Old Testament fulfillments. And I'm just going to put them up there quickly uh, because of time. Jesus is born of a virgin. His birth is in the town of Bethlehem. The flight to Egypt and the consequent return. The slaughter of the innocents in Bethlehem. The home base of Nazareth. The ministry of the forerunner, John the Baptist. And finally, the start of Jesus' ministry in the northern regions, where people who walked in darkness saw a great light. Now, you may ask yourself, well, why have you put all of those up there? Why have you said all of those this morning? How does this all fit in with, with the Christmas story? Well, we want to understand that this, that, that this was the fulfillment, this was the completion of God's plan for Jesus in the first part of his life. And for Matthew writing this to the Jewish readers, he wanted them to understand that this is the fulfillment. This is the one you have been expecting. This is the one God had promised. And yet they missed it. And how many people actually miss the real reason for Christmas because they just forget about Jesus and see that actually it, it, it's about everything else. It's about all else that's going on. And I'm not here all anti-Christmas, don't eat too much turkey and all of that, because I'm not. But I am here to help us to understand that, that actually for us to love him, for us to obey him, for us to proclaim him, the foundation has to be that we know him. Uh, and the reason is this, is because Jesus Christ is the fulfiller and the fulfillment of all God's promises. Critics would say that, Oh, some of those events in the Christmas story could have been planned. They could have taken him to Bethlehem, or they could have fled to Nazareth. They could have done all of these things to make it fit the prophecy. They said for Jesus to fulfill 
all seven of those prophecies, exactly as it happened, was like a one in 300 million chance to fulfill all seven of them. He says, that's their sort of odds they're looking at. There was no way that this was possible. But Jesus wasn't just the fulfiller as the person. In what he did, he was the fulfillment of all God's promises as well. And that word fulfillment is the key word that we're looking at when we look at the story of Jesus Christ, when we try and look at it from an Old Testament perspective, because the fulfillment of the promise reveals that God simply had a plan. And if you're in here in church this morning and you're wondering, thinking, well, how does God have a plan for my life and what's happening to me now and what I am going through? It says, listen, the Christmas story is an encouragement to you that God had a plan, excuse me, that God has a plan. The wise men left their home four months before they were to arrive at Jesus. All of it coming together, all of it. And critics would tell us, ah, oh, it didn't happen on that night, and it didn't, it was this time. Listen, they got to Jesus. That was the most important thing. That's always the most important thing. They got to Jesus. Why? Because God had a plan. He simply had a plan, and it was fulfilled in Christ Jesus. And Matthew wanted to make sure that the readers understood all these prophecies were a fulfillment of what God had said. Why? Because God does this. God has always spoken and acted in real history through actual events and real human lives. He has made promises and kept them and called people to record and remember them. Listen to, to a preacher called Alistair Begg. He spoke about the Christmas story. And I said this a little bit before in Timothy, uh, when we were speaking on Timothy, you know, if, if Christianity was meant to convince people to believe something, surely it would have been made a little bit easier that, that God became a man, uh, was a baby, grew up with a little boy and then started his ministry. Surely they could have made it easier for people to accept, to understand, to take on what's been said. It says in all of the stuff with Christianity at times, there were times that we just hit that some people will call it a wall, some people will call it a line, some people will call it whatever. But it just calls for a step of faith. It calls for us to believe that actually this is what God did. This is what God did in sending his son. We know why God sent his son. But often at times we struggle and we look at it and say, could he have not made it easier? Would it not been easier to do something else? But that calls us to have the faith. It calls us to have the faith to believe this is exactly what God did because it fulfilled what he'd already said he was going to do. And God cannot let himself down and he will not let us down. And so that is fulfilled because he's always spoken and acted in real time. This is in history. He says it would have been so much easier if Jesus had been born in the palace that he'd been born today and it was the saviour of the world. I'm sure Sky News would have been there. They'd have had your girl, Kay Burley, out front and stuff, and microphone here, the Son of God is born in this palace. And, and, and that would have been the easier way to do it. Almost the teachers and the scribes of the law had the Old Testament prophecies, and they missed it. You know, yet Jesus was born at the right time. The fulfillment, as we've already heard this morning. You see, when we look at this, we see what, what, what God had planned. 
Because it just simply says, and it's been read from Galatians 4, verse 4 already, because at the moment of Jesus' birth, the entire scope and focus of the Old Testament came into being, in a sense. Because it says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why is he doing that? Because it fulfills what he has already said. He's simply saying, this has to happen this way, just at the right time. It's like in Romans 5, verse 6, when he says, at the right time, God sent his son. He said, God is never, he's never early, he's never late, he's exactly on time. And the Christmas story illustrates that, that it was the right time. Sure, it would have been easier to do further down the line, or maybe there was a technology and there was all of this to announce to the world that Jesus was born. And, and we would look at it and say, that would be the thing to do. But we're missing something so vitally important. It wasn't God's time. It wasn't God's time. And if you are looking for where God is at the moment, if you're looking for how his plan is being fulfilled in your life, if you're feeling as though he has forgotten you or abandoned you, he says, let me encourage you from the Christmas story this morning that God has a plan, but also everything is in his time. Everything is in his time. And you know what he will do in your life? At just the right time. At just the right time. What's the right time? It's God's time. At just the right time, he will fulfill the plan and the purpose for your life. That's what we see because the birth of Christ in this Christmas story, in the Christmas story, is a fulfillment of prophecy. Actually, truth and fact. And we come to it and we see that actually it's just God fulfilling what he said he was going to do. It's just simply fulfilling what he said he was going to do because Christmas and what follows, it simply lies deep in the Old Testament. At every turn, Jesus was fulfilling a role. And as we come uh, to the last days and people will argue about whether we're in the last days or they started, are we close to them? Or gone? Listen, it says not all of that matters. It says, like the first time, the most important thing is the expectation of Jesus. Because the expectation of Jesus is the most important thing because the arrival of Jesus changes everything. It changed it in the first Christmas story and it changes it in our lives. How many times we have looked for an answer to prayer and the arrival of Christ into our situation and circumstances change that situation for his glory. Why? Because it's his plan and it's his plan being fulfilled just at the right time. Jesus came at just the right time. And it's wonderful what he does when he does that. And there's a wee side thought that I, I thought I'd finish with because we'd sung a word of it uh, this morning in one of the songs. You know, God sent his son, Christ Jesus, as a demonstration of love towards us for the payment of, of, of sin that we had committed. There was no other way around it. The law had been presented. That didn't meet the, the criteria. It didn't meet the standard that God was expecting. So he sent his son, Jesus Christ. And in that happening, it says that fulfilled all the requirements of forgiveness and acceptance by God. But God, as he does with so much of everything else, he went a step further. 
He says, because there was no need to mention adoption. There was no need for him to make us part of his family. There was no need for him to call us sons and daughters of his. I mean, let's be real. It would have been just enough for us to be forgiven. It would have been just enough for to us to be accepted knowing that Christ had died for us. Yet God, as he always does, goes one step further where he adopts us. He brings us into his family. As Paul writes in Romans, he says, you haven't received the spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. But because of him, you have received that spirit of adoption that we're now called sons and daughters. That's what Christ's coming did for us. That's what the expectation of him coming for us. This Christmas, let us make it about the expectation of him coming. Not just in the general sense of the Christmas story, but in our situations and our circumstances that we're facing in our lives because Christ Jesus' arrival always makes a difference. Let us pray. <coughs> Father, we thank you today. Thank you for the promise of your son, both the fulfiller and the fulfillment of all your promises. And Father, we don't always understand the power behind that word fulfillment. For we know everything that you completed, everything that had to be done was done through your son and in your son. And Father, it would have been just enough for us to be forgiven. It would have been just enough for us to know that we are loved. It would have been enough just to know that we are accepted. But the promise of your word moves on to say that we have been adopted into your family. Even if nobody else wants us, we are sons and daughters of yours. Even if we feel rejected by the world, we belong to you. And Father, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for that expectation. We thank you for that waiting. We thank you for that journey that each and every one of us is on. And we take encouragement this morning, knowing that you have a plan. And in every circumstance that every person in this church is facing, that God, you will fulfill your plan in their lives at just the right time, which is your time, which is your time. And we thank you for that today. In Jesus' name. Amen.